Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Mental Health Check-In with Talik. Today, I am recording a special episode, so I just want to put out there a trigger warning. I will be talking to men that are survivors of sexual abuse. Um, I'm going to introduce my panel I have up here. Um, Jay Patrick, David Barlock, David Torres, and Bill Haley. Um, I want to thank you my brothers for coming on and having this talk. I know it's not easy. Anybody listening, like I said, trigger warning, you know, we will be talking about sexual abuse. So I want to get into my first question. I want you guys to tell me your story of sexual abuse, right? And I'm going to just call out a name and, you know, and we'll just go down the list. So I want to start with Jay. Can you tell us your story about sexual abuse? Okay. PG version from ages six to 13. Can you hear me? Yes. From ages six to 13, I was, was molested or sexually assaulted by a variety of different males and a female relative. And while I was in the army, in basic training in the army, I was raped by a drill sergeant and a couple of privates. Um, Jay, I'm so sorry that you, um, went through that. Um, thank you for sharing it. Thank you. That's it for being brave. Um, you are. next, David, can you share your, David um, Garlock, can you share your story on sexual abuse? I forgot two Davids. Yeah. Hey, how y'all doing? Um, so with me, it was something that um, the sexual abuse happened to my brother and me by the same individual. Um, my brother had been kicked out of the house and was living in a group home in Seattle, Washington. And this gentleman had just gotten out of prison in South Carolina, moved to Washington, befriended the person running the home just so he could have access to, to young boys and started molesting my brother for a couple months and then forced him to move in with him. And a couple months after that, um, they taught, he talked my mom and stepdad to move back to Washington, where they were actually living in California at that time, just so he could have, have access to me. And so um, when I was 11 years old, the abuse began. And so both my brother and I, we were sexually and physically abused by this gentleman for eight years, went from when I was 11 to 19. And it was at that point, you know, it, the abuse had gotten really bad. Um, he had tried to kill me and my brother numerous times, and it was just every night we were getting the crap beat out of us and sexually abused. And my brother and I, we made an irrational decision and we took the gentleman's life. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. I know your story. Thank you. Your story is unique, and I thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Um, next, I would like to go to Bill. Bill, can you share your story? Sure. Um, I, uh, well, with me, and, and, I, and it happened to be my sister, um, we were sexually molested by 
our parents who happened to be preachers in a in a church and it went on from the age of three to the age of uh, 14 and it was and it, it didn't just stop there we were actually pimped out to family members we were pimped out to uh, other church uh, church pastors bishops uh and their first wife their first ladies and and like i said it was um it was a traumatic time and you know but it was um but it was a very difficult time well, thank you for sharing that um i recently heard both story and i heard so many stories you know and i think his story um you know had me tear up and stuff like that what he's been through and to still be here you know is a lot um thank you bill for sharing that um David Torres, can you tell us your story? Hi, everyone. Um, so my story began when I was probably between the ages of four and six. Uh, I was uh, sexually molested by one of my sisters. Um, and then while I would continue to grow in my neighborhood, uh, two individuals, uh, sexually molested me as well. And then I wanna say towards the ages of 16, 17, I was sexually molested again, uh, this time by a youth pastor at a church that my family members uh, uh, took me. So that lasted like at about, uh, I wanna say close to two years. Uh, he also abused me verbally and physically as well. Thank you, um, David. Um, I recently had David on my podcast one-on-one episode and his story. When I released that, guys, you need to listen to it. Listeners, um, the story is powerful. Whew, okay, um, I'm going to keep it at David. Um, I want to ask you this next question, David Torres. Um, why didn't you think you, why didn't you tell anyone about the sexual abuse? Um, I, I will say shame, uh, play a, a big part. Um, I also, uh, during those times, um, I, I, I never remember my parents talking to me about, uh, anything about sexuality, uh, nothing like that. So. I guess I didn't, I didn't see that door for me to go to or knock on that door because uh, they, they never talked to me about, you know, don't, don't let anyone touch you in a certain way or certain areas. But I think shame was the play a big role uh, in regards to why I never said anything. Thank you. Thank you, David. Um, Jay, the same question to you. Why did you think you didn't tell anyone? If you, I don't know if you told anyone, but if you didn't, you know, why didn't you think you told anyone? Um, Jay, you're on mute. Hold on real quick. Okay, I'm here. Okay. Okay, well, for one, no one ever asked. And for two, to two during the period I grew up in, 
it was easy to whenever the whenever the subject of sexual abuse or molestation molestation did come up, it always was focused on girls. It was assumed that this could never happen to a boy. Now there was one time I did attempt to tell one of my aunts about what was going on. And let's just say it wasn't received too well. Basically, basically she implied it was my fault because I was a boy and should have known better. Thank you for that, Jerry. Okay. Um, Bill, the same question for you, Bill. Mm. Well, you know, we were seen as two little poor black kids living in a, um, a apartment community in Memphis, Tennessee. And, you know, um, we went to church mostly every Sunday, but, you know, we were seen as, you know, to me, like freaks of nature. We were used so often that, you know, who could you tell? You couldn't tell the pastor because he, perhaps that one was was one of the ones that was raping us so you know um and just so it went on for so long until you know you just you feel like you can't speak up you can't say anything and 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 that it stopped and so you know for me and my sister we just we were just traffic from church to church from home to home you know with no one really standing up for us or or even cared enough about us to see that there was something wrong. And so that's what happened uh, with us. Thank you, Bill. Um, David Garlock, same questions as you. Yeah, I mean, we didn't tell anybody because from the first day that he molested both my brother and me, he had told us that if we ever told anybody, he would kill our family and then kill ourselves. And um, as an 11 year old being told that, you know, it's something that you're going to believe, you know, um, he would always talk about um, that he just got out of prison. And so not being too aware of really the world in that aspect, because, you know, you're so young, you're, you, you believe anything, you know, and that was the thing that was always there, you know, that fear, you know, of him actually killing us, you know. Thank you, um, David. Um, I went to tell, you know, I was sexually abused by two of my male cousins as a child. I wasn't the only one, but I always tell my story because I don't want to tell nobody else's story. But um, I was afraid to speak up because one of my cousins, I feel like, would have, like, beat the hell out of me. And I was, like, a child that was acting up because of the sexual abuse. And I feel like, you know, I was I was lying, stealing, you know, like a typical child staying out late. And I think, I didn't think nobody would believe me. And, you know, as a child, I was protecting people. I didn't want to tell my grandma, which was my guardian. I didn't want to tell her that she get, you know, into it with her sister. And then I feel like I would have been the cause of some type of family drama, a breakout. So as a child, you know, I feel like I was protecting everybody else, but not protecting me. I just want to say that. Um, the next question I'm going to ask um, Bill, um, start with Bill. How did you get through your abuse? It was, uh, of course, it, you know, it starts out, they like to um, massage you, you know, uh, some, you know, like to play around with you, but it, it started out with uh, massaging me 
you know, in the penis area. And then eventually, <clears throat> uh, and, and this is, of course, my biological father, he's, he wants oral fellatio. And then uh, ultimately he wanted anal sex. And then with my mom, she, she just, you know, she just flat out wanted, wanted sex. So, I mean, it was, um, it, it, um, you know, it's, it just, like I say, it all starts out, but it all, you know, it's going to end, you know, in a really traumatic setting. So. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Um, next, Jay, same question to you. How did you get through your abuse? I'm asking you to unmute Jay. Um, you're on mute. To be honest, I haven't, I've, I haven't really gotten through it or gotten over it. It's there, there are elements that still, that still trigger me from time to time. And I want to say, Jay, that's okay because I still haven't got fully over my stuff. Too. Um, it's times like I went to this church that I visit, and the men there are so nice and they pay you hugs and stuff like that. And I feel it makes me feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to let you know you're not alone. You know, I have not gotten over that just yet, too. Thank you. That, that, that's a great example of, of what I mean. Because yeah. I've, had, I've had those experiences brought to a bunch of times. Thank you for um, sharing that. Um, okay. the, the same question I want to ask um, David Torres. So <clears throat> for me, um, I can tell you that I, I remember when I was experiencing the sexual abuse, I, I would detach my mind from, from the act. Uh, I remember thinking about my home and you know, just being home. And then um, I, I remember having suicidal thoughts. Uh, and then it wasn't until, until I started, I, I think I, I was already married and I went through all those triggers as well where I, I couldn't be close to any males and the hugging. And even, even when I, when, when I was getting dressed to go to church, like putting a tie because my last abuser taught me how to make a tie. You know, I had all those triggers and I still do. Like every time I got to put on a tie because I'm a pastor, I'm an associate pastor, you know, it, I still get those triggers. Uh, but I will say that talking about it uh, helped me a lot. Uh, writing about it, um, as you know, you know, hopefully in April, I will come out with my book. And I remember even when it gets to, when the book got to a point where I needed to be honest with myself, I, I would put the, the, the computer away because I couldn't. And, and it wasn't until I started talking about it. And then I realized that I was helping others by telling my story. So. Um, that's how I got through it. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Um, 
David Garlock. Well, the way that I got through the abuse was I created different masks. So I created different personas and kind of like what David was talking about, uh, disassociating from what was happening and just everything. And so um, when I was at church, I had a mask. When I was on the football field, I had a different mask. When I was at school, I had a different mask. And no one could know what I was going through. No one could know what I was experiencing. So I lost who I was. So I actually didn't know who I was until I was incarcerated for the murder, you know, and I was able to take these masks off. And then I was able to finally realize and understand who David Garlock was, you know, and then through that, you know, just the healing process, you know, my faith, um, reading books about child sexual abuse, and then just uh, as David was talking about, you, one thing that's so powerful is when we talk about it, we gain that much power over it, you know, and it loses that power. And in doing that, you know, Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 talks about that God is a God of comfort, and he comforts us so we can comfort others. And that's what we're doing tonight, you know, even though we still have a lot of pain and heartache and hurt from what we've experienced, we're actually able to comfort others by sharing what we're going through now. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, I, I would say um, how I got through my sexual abuse, I think I just, like, I feel like I just had to you know, cough it up, you know, just go. It was a place where um, my grandma would take me to, um, and I had, you know, if I wanted, she didn't want to babysit, I had no babysitter, I would go there. It was a place I had to go to. And sometimes, I I don't know how I got through it sometimes. Sometimes I feel like it's the grace of God because, um, you know, I couldn't tell nobody, you know, I can't speak up about it. Um, so when I look back over my life, I just think like that had to be like God that got me through that because like a little innocent child like me, you know, taking that abuse. So yeah. Um, before I get into this next question, I want to say anybody that's listening to this podcast, um, trigger warning. If you have any thoughts of suicide or any thoughts of suicide ideation, there is a suicide prevention lifeline. at... um. The number, number is 988. Make sure y'all dial that number. If you know anybody struggling, if you're struggling, um, I want to ask you guys, and I'm going to start off with David Garlock, you know, were there thoughts of suicide after your sexual abuse? I mean, afterwards, there really wasn't. There was definitely thoughts of while it was going on. Um, I think really after the abuse, you know, I mean, we had um, gotten to the point where we had taken the gentleman's life, you know, and so it was to the point where we had felt like we had taken our life back to an extent. I mean, there was still so much damage, so much heartache, so much pain, so many cuts and wounds that we had to go through, you know, through the healing process. But I mean, since then, you know, I mean, it's just been a process of changing those scabs into scars, you know, and now just taking those scars and showing them to other people and letting them know that they can heal. Um, I'll go to David Torres next. So, yeah, I will say that um, throughout my childhood, um, I always thought about it. 
Um, and then as an adult, when the news broke out throughout the entire island of Puerto Rico that the pastor that abused me uh, was arrested because he continued with the same, um, he was doing the same thing to other kids. Since I, I never told, you know, told anybody, including my wife. I mean, when the news broke out, I, I thought that my life, my life was over and my wife wanted to divorce me and everything. And I was getting ready to, you know, to end my life uh, various times. I remember one time I took her to church and I told her that I was not gonna go in. And I, I just wanted to drop her off with my kids. And I was ready to, to end my life that day. And if it wasn't for that, she went in and grabbed a couple of people, including the pastor uh, back then, uh, I, I would not be telling my story today. Thank you, thank you, David. Thank you. Um, next, um, Bill. Yeah, I. I mean, I. Well, I mean, throughout the abuse, I mean, it was um, ideas of suicide were very constant. They, um, they would, you know, <clears throat> the thoughts of would get louder and louder, um, and you know, I. I remember once I took a a bottle of Tylenol pills and swallowed them and they carried me to the hospital and then of course the doctors pumped it out of my stomach and so um so yeah man you know I thought about suicide very, very a whole lot when I was a kid uh, a teenager adulthood um I remember one day I was I was in a relationship with, with this lady and we were we were talking about getting married but I remember I remember getting in my car and I was living in Memphis at the time and I was driving away. Uh, she had just broken up with me and I drove away and I drove up around the interstate and I was getting ready to flip the wheel right in front of an 18 wheeler and an angel of the Lord appeared and, and slapped my hand. And so, um, you know, it's, you know, it was just, um, I thought that was the only way I could really just get away from it all, you know, because you're, you're dealing with so much on the inside that, you know, um, and I just thought, I just, hey, um, I'll just, I'll just remove Bill, you know, that was over 20 years ago, and I, I thank God I'm still here today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Jay. I'm here. Um, the question, the same question for you. Were there any thoughts of suicide after your sexual abuse? Um, the, that didn't start happening until 2011. The situation was I was working as a child protection investigator, and I'm I'm Oddly knowing at the time, I was I was working on a case where it was it was said that the father was possibly molesting the daughter. I was not aware of that when I went to visit this family, but it it eventually came out, and 
he got the, the father. The father, he got upset with me and he physically attacked me, put, pushed me up to a van with a gun in my, a gun in my head. And it was that, and it was from that point when I started having all the suicidal ideations and uh, no other mental health issues. So sorry, Jay, so sorry. But, but, but thank you, but, but, but prior to that incident, um, I think what it was, I think what it was, I, I had just, I kept suppressing everything. Because when I, when, I, when I first publicly disclosed about being sexually abused, I got, you know, and, and I'm not saying that this doesn't happen in any, any other ethnic communities, but, but for particularly for African-American communities and, and, and to an extent, Hispanic Latino communities as well, boys are expected to be strong and to be tough and do not show any vulnerability. So when I first started talking about that, I kept I kept getting these messages that said, you know, you're not a man if you if you're allowing this to happen to you. So therefore I kept I just kept suppressing it and I just kept going because that was all I all I knew, knew what to do. Back at that time, there was no support groups for men like there are now. So the suicidal ideations did not come until after 2011. Thank you, um, Jay, thank you. Um, You're welcome. I still struggle with thoughts of suicide. Um, sexual abuse uh, is sometimes can be a lot, you know, when we talk about our stories, you know, over again, when, you know, some of our speakers, some of us are speakers are just telling our stories. It could be a lot. Um, I still struggle with suicidal thoughts from time to time. I've been okay this year so far, but um, um, people, sexual abuse, it takes a, a lot away from, you know, you know, self-esteem issues, you know, you know, not confident in yourself, you know, just um, like me, I have social anxiety. Like I'm on this, amazing panel with these amazing guys but like I felt like if I saw them in person my anxiety would just like come up you know um uh, like thoughts of suicide just been there so I remember as a child and it just a memory just came back um as a child I was playing I was in Lebanon PA playing with my friend and I was at my dad um girlfriend house and um I ran in the street to get hit by a car and I didn't realize, I remember it, you know, I was in a crutch, I was like, my age was ramped up from crutches. And I was talking to his girlfriend on Facebook, like last year, I was like, you know, it's crazy. I said, that memory came back to me. I said, I think I, I said, I believe, and I just 100% believe that I tried to kill myself because as a child, you know, holding that in and not telling nobody and just like, just going on with life like it didn't happen, you know, it like really, really affected me. So if anybody's out there that's struggling any thoughts of suicide, you know, the suicide with your lifeline is out there. All you have to do is dial 988. If you or anyone is struggling, any thoughts, you know, make sure you guys dial that number. Um, next question I would like to ask is, um, how did sexual abuse affect you mentally? And I'm gonna start off with Bill. 
Well, how it affected me, I mean, you know, I, I think I might have, might have, I don't say misanswered, but, um, you know, I think about uh, some of the stories that David, that both Davids told, you know, I had all these masks, you know, uh, just, and I, I often used to think of myself as the talented Mr. Ripley, you know, uh, I'd say the one that Leonardo DiCaprio played, uh, not the one that Matt Damon played, uh, but, you know, I went on, I got uh, a bachelor's degree and two master's degrees. And, you know, so for me, you know, it was hiding behind education, um, hiding behind this career, you know, and, you know, a lot like Jay, I, I suppressed a lot of things. I mean, I'm, I'm 46 today and I just, me and my sister just started talking about this about four or five years ago. Well, actually a little bit further back, but just started talking more and more about it. You know, um, I mean, I, I wanted to just suppress it. You know, I didn't want to remember it no more. I didn't want it to come up again. Um, both of my, uh, both my parents, they, they're both deceased. They went to, went to the grave, not saying they're sorry, uh, not saying forgive me anything. I mean, they, they went. So I just said, well, you know, okay, that's behind me. Uh, I got married, you know, uh, for me, trying to suppress even homosexuality. I mean, it was a lot of things that I uh, was trying to cover up, you know. Um, and it's like, the more you try to cover up uh, uh, um, something that, that's about to explode, uh, the more it's, the, the more pressure you put on it, the, more, the, the worse it's going to be. And so, you know, uh, for me, it was just, like I said, it was education. It was so many things that I wanted to hide behind, you know, but, you know, when you try to put those things away in the closet, <laughs> that closet's going to swing open one day, you know, and, you know, and so that's, that's what happened with me. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Um, David Garlock, same question for you. How did the sexual abuse affect you mentally? Well, I mean, just like Bill was saying, I mean, it goes back to the different um, masks, you know, I talked about previously, you know, but then it gets to the thought process that you have, you know, about your own manhood, you know, like, this has been going on for so long, you know, is this who you are, you know, so it's always something that you're wrestling with, you know, and then, you know, you get to the point where you tell yourself that, you know, this isn't your fault, you know, and that's, I didn't get to that place until I was actually incarcerated, and I was reading a, a self-help book about child sexual abuse, and in it, it was talking about that the person who is sexually abused blames themselves for being abused, and so it was this aha moment where I was finally able to have a conversation with 11-year-old David and tell him that it wasn't his fault, you know, and so really just having that conversation and being able to forgive myself, you know, really helped with the, the thought processes that I had about myself growing up, you know, while the abuse was happening. Thank you. David Torres, same question for you. How did sexual abuse affect your mental health? Uh, I can relate uh, to everyone. I think um, one of the things that I struggled with was when my, um, my now 21-year-old son was growing. And uh, while he was growing, like, 
all these triggers that I had because I will say something like around this this age I was molested and and it messed me up so much that I I, I mistreated my my son uh, verbally uh, I mistreated my wife uh, she didn't know how to handle me because you know or how to handle our marriage because you know uh, mentally I, I was a mess I was a mess and. I could be calm as a day, and then all of a sudden, I will have a trigger where, I mean, I had this outburst of anger, and it's because I went into marriage, and I never dealt with my uh, abuse. So, you know, when, when, when we don't deal with it, we turn to take it on the people that love us the most. And it could be a family, a friend, and you know, it, it's it's really a spot where you can even go into depression, which I went into depression. Um, I remember at one point <clears throat> I told my uh, main doctor, like if, if she was gonna send me to a specialist that all those specialists they needed to be a uh, woman because I, I couldn't be in a in a room with a male doctor I would get anxiety attacks uh, I mean it, I was a mess wow 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 um I, before I go to jail I want to say I understand I, it took me a while to get a male male therapist you know um I understand it I got a male therapist now, but I understand that. But um, Jay, um, the next question, the same question for you is, um, how does sexual abuse affect your mental health? In many ways, um, for a long time, I didn't get along with men. And it, and it took me a while, it took years to overcome that. As it relates to women, I actually hated women. Because if you recall, one of my violations was by a, a female relative. So deep down, I, I really hated women for a long time. To even to this day, I don't want a female ministry. I don't like female ministers laying their hands on me. You know, and, and, and people give me a rough time about that, but, but that's something I'm very serious about. You know, for, for, you know, it took me a long time to get to a point where I could be comfortable asking for a male therapist. Um, but like, it's, it's, it's like there are days where I just sit in the house. I don't want to go anywhere. I just want us to stay in my house. Some people, some people say I'm, I'm anti-social because I prefer staying to myself a lot. Um, also, it took me a long time to get to a point where I felt comfortable just hanging out with friends and just having fun. Because as, as a matter of fact, the, the, the latter part of 2022 and, 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 and this month are 
these, these past five or six months are really the first time that I felt alive in years because I suppressed so much. Thank you, um, thank you. Um, sexual abuse affect me, affect me mentally so bad, you guys. Um, uh, I, it's so weird that, you know, I acted up as a child after the sexual abuse, you know, I done like played with fire, my grandma house burned her house down, you know, stole, you know, a lot of stuff acted on. People thought I was a bad child, you know, they didn't want to get around me. You know, they told me disrespectful, but you know, as I got older, I didn't realize that that I was act, it was a act, I was acting out and everything. So mentally, like where it really, really got me is when I turned I'm 32 down. I turned 26 and I started. I got back in church, and I didn't realize that I had issues being around men until I got back to church. You know, people, hey, how you doing? You know, that the non-denomination churches, hey, how you doing? And I'm just looking like, why is the people say hi? Somebody told me one time it was like leaked, like. I met you first and you were standoffish. And I was like, damn, that's not, you know, that's not cool. Like I was like very disrespectful. Like, you know, certain pastors, you know, I would get mad and lash out. And that person would be, because as a man, you know, two men molested me because they was a man, my anger would be taken out on them. Um, so yeah, it affects me mentally, you know, with, you know, depression, you know, social anxiety, um, just getting in my head. Um, I kind of wish like I could have dealt with that as a child, but you know, it was signs there that I would say, hey, I should be in therapy, but you know, my mom did not care. So um, yeah, it definitely affect me mentally a lot. Um, my next question, and I'm gonna start with Jay. Um, what can you tell a parent or a teacher or a guardian the signs of someone that has been sexually abused. You know, we all have these signs where, you know, we went through a period of time and people missed it. So like, how can we, like, what can you tell somebody that's a parent, guardian, or, you know, teacher, just somebody? As it, as it relates to, to boys, I would say that parents, teachers, and guardians need to be very observant, pay attention, and not and not be misjudgeful. As I think, when you ask me that question, as I as I look back, a lot of the things that I act out in ways that people misjudged me for and was misunderstood. You know, what if you know I there was a period where I was just quiet, like read books, and I like to stay, you know, and I like and I like to watch television. So I was mis, I was misjudged as something something was not normal about me. I wasn't like all the other boys. So I want I want parents and teachers and other caregivers to pay very close attention to the boys that are quiet, shy, and reserved. And don't, and don't misjudge them. You know, watch out for those kids who may be overly promiscuous, are always afraid about, around other children or around, other, around adult males. 
that was that 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 was a big thing with me. Whenever whenever I would get around me and my family, I was always quiet and and fearful, and no one really peeped into that until I was until I was old. I got older, um, and like I, as I said, because I like to stay inside and read books and watch TV. They they felt that that was wrong. That I need to be out playing with boys per, per se. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, you know, just 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 be just be loving towards your the, the male the young male children in your life. I I would just say overall, just be loving, be non judgmental, and create an environment to where if if sexual misconduct is going on, they'll feel secure in coming to tell you. Yeah. Right. Thank you for that, Jerry. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. you you're welcome. Um, Bill, same question to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, people just need to pay attention. Um, if you see a child is, has, has, I mean, like I say, the child can become um, very reserved, very quiet. Um, and then some children become, whether it's girls or boys, can become promiscuous. So I would just say pay attention. If you see something's wrong, wrong, you know, you need to, you know, um, investigate and find out what's wrong. Why are they acting this way? Why are they behaving this way? You know, um, you know, most most of the time they're they don't want to tell because they're trying to protect whoever it is, you know. Maybe they were threatened, uh, you know, I'm gonna kill your family, I'm gonna kill you, whatever, whatever it was. But I, I just think that it's very important that people pay very close attention to a child's uh, behavior. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Um, David Garlock, same question to you. Yeah, I mean, I just continue to say what, the, what Bill and Jay have talked about. You know, it, it's really about paying attention to the children and watching for habits that are changing. Um, but it's also about letting children know that teachers, people in churches, um, parents, that they are safe places, you know, that if a child comes up and tells them something about sexual abuse, that they're going to be believed, you know, because one thing we've heard throughout this conversation is that a lot of us didn't um, believe that somebody would believe us. You know, we had one person talk about their family didn't believe them, you know, so that is something that is always in the back of a mind of somebody who's being uh, molested is like, if I tell somebody this, will they believe me? So I think that is a key thing for anybody in a position that is working with children for the child to know that if something happens that they're to, to come to them and that they're going to be believed. Thank you, thank you, David Torres. You know, it's it's. I can agree with everybody. Um, 
I remember when I finally told my, my, my family, I think it was back in 2012, 2013. And um, I, I, when I told them, they then they understood why I was I was always uh, behind closed doors in my room, uh, why I, I was always mad or upset. So I think they gotta pay attention to um, change those mood swings and, and you know changing character and and uh, behavior changes and and all of that. I mean. I know that nowadays it's more difficult because our kids, they like to be in their rooms in, in, in their um, uh, PlayStation games and whatnot. Uh, but there's other ways that you can tell, you know, when, when there's a, a change in behavior. Um, so those things are really important as parents that you, that you pay close attention to that. As a teacher, I think teachers can, can actually tell. I, I just believe that sometimes they don't want to get involved actually uh, with everything that is going on. Uh, but but I think that teachers can tell more because uh, I remember when I used to go to school. You know, I I like to pay attention, and then all of a sudden I was acting out. So, but they never want to get involved. They never asked me what was wrong with me. So. I, I think in, in certain ways that they can tell, but they're afraid of asking the question, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pete, I just want to say to parents and teachers, you know, just make sure, um, parents, make sure, you know, teach your kids that if somebody does something to them, it's okay to come to them, you know. Um, I was never taught that, you know. I was taught, don't talk to strangers, but I wasn't taught that somebody touched you the wrong way, come to me, I would believe you. Um, teachers, I know like David Torres says, some they probably don't want to get involved. You know, um, I wish I would have had somebody seen, you know, when I was acting out in school and everything, I wish somebody would have saw me. I was able to go to school, not even when I was just sexually abused. I was physically, I was physically abused by one of my uncles that beat me with a stinger course so bad that I couldn't sit down. And I was able to go to school I was able to go to school and sit down in pain. It was hard for me to sit down, you know. You know, mind you, I'm sexually abused on my mind, just get, you know, getting beaten. And for me, that no teacher was able to see that I was in pain, like broke my heart. So you know, there's different signs in kids, you know. Um, just make sure, you know, most important thing to me is make sure you teach your kid, not about just stranger, you know, stranger danger, but let them know that if somebody touches you in the wrong way tell me, I will believe you. And parents, if you have to believe your children, teachers, whoever, guardians, you have to believe your children. Have to. Um, my next question, it's gonna be our last question. I wanna start off with David Torres. In today's world, what are you doing to raise awareness for the survivors of sexual abuse? Well, I'm, I'm speaking, uh, doing podcasts I like this one, uh, Facebook Live. Um, I'm finishing my book. Uh, hopefully it will come out on, in, in April. Uh, speaking in church. Uh, but I think it, it started at, at my home. Uh, you know, those that have kids, we, we need to speak to our kids and the first thing that I did, I, I, I amend things with my son. Um, I had to gain his love 
back, his trust. Uh, so that's one thing, you know, I think we, we need to start at home and then we can then speak out there and bring awareness that this is not something that only happens to, to the ladies, it happens to, to us too as men. Uh, and I think, I, I, be, I truly believe that while we speak, we can, we can find that healing that we're searching. Um, this is a journey. It's not gonna happen uh, from one day to another, but I think that while we speak and we bring awareness by doing this, these things like this platform that we're that we're in right now, I think people will become aware why society is so broken, uh, and it's because us as men we're broken because we were broken and. I, and I think that that is the best way that we can bring awareness, just telling our story. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you. Um, next, I'd like to ask that question to Bill. In today's world, what are you doing to raise awareness for survivors of sexual abuse? Well, you know, I'm in a, you know, a good, good, what they say, headspace where I can talk about it, um, you know, talking to, you know, in the church, but um, also, you know, in different communities and different events, uh, conferences. So uh, I definitely want to, um, you know, speak more, um, you know, and help people, you know, understand that they are not alone, that, you know, uh, and definitely don't give up because, you know, without Christ, you know, we can't. <laughs> I know I wouldn't even be alive today. You know, I thank God for my spiritual mother who's taught me that, um, you know, first of all, to forgive, I've forgiven my parents. And in order to forgive, you gotta have love. And I just wanna, you know, just share the, that, that about love and how, you know, if, if we love um, our families, if we love our friends, you know, um, then our healing can continue to take place. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Um, same question to Jay. Um, in today's world, what are you doing to raise awareness for survivors of sexual abuse, Jay? Uh, what I'm doing is probably not the most ideal thing is that I tend to, well, being a social worker, I tend to want to, I tend to challenge people in the people in people in church, people, people that are ministers. I challenge their belief systems. And, and, I, and the reason why I do this is because the term forgiveness is always thrown around at survivors. But and, and and I find that that the truth the the the, the 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 healing that most that most of us never really most of us need we don't really get it because everybody's too busy trying to make sure that we forgive this, these people and and I'm saying this from a, from the level from the perspective of a social worker that I I, I challenge people on that is because. 
the, ver- the first thing a survivor needs to know is that God loves them. And what happened to them is not their fault. That's 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 the main thing they need to hear. And then also I find out that some of our religious leaders are not they're 50 years behind the time. So so that's why I I challenge them and educate them so that they can come to the understanding of what men like us need. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Okay. David Garlock. Yeah, so uh, I do a lot of public speaking. I've spoken about 60 universities over the past five years. And in doing that, you know, I'm sharing my story, talking about the abuse, talking about the murder and really the growth that I've had during that time, you know, and what's amazing is the amount of people that have come up afterwards and have talked about their own abuse and that they have never shared it with anybody, but because they saw me and how I was able to just be so open about my experiences and empowered them. And so that's one thing that's always amazing and incredible. And I tell the person, I'm like, forget the other 100, 200, 300 people that heard me speak, you know, you're the reason that I'm here, you know, and I always tell them, I'm like, like, okay, this is the first step, but you can't stop here, you know, you've told me, now it's time to go ahead and and get counseling, you know, where you can begin this process, and I tell them, I'm like, this is going to be a journey, you know, it's not a a 100-yard dash, it's not a 400-yard dash, you know, it's a marathon, it's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be times where you just plateau, but you just got to keep going, and uh, last year, I was also able to do a TEDx, you know, it's called Beyond the Mask, Overcoming Abuse and Trauma. And so in it, you know, I talk about these masks, you know, and it was an amazing opportunity to be able to share on that type of platform too. Thank you, guys. Um, What I'm doing today to raise awareness for survivors of sexual abuse, I'm just like, you know, telling my story, you know, I'm a published author, probably the first one in my family to have a book out about my story, you know, on this podcast, um, just talking, it was mental health, wherever I have a guest on here, I always tell my story, um, just to let people know that, you know, there's someone maybe like me, like David Torres, like David Garlock, like Jay, like Bill, that's out there that may be struggling, and, um, you know, I'm also like, you know, have some accountability partners too to help me out that's been through the same thing. You know, shout out to Ryan, McCray, Mario Furlow, and you know, um, Daquan from the Survivor Circle. Guys, there is a Survivor Circle on Facebook. You know, um, when I found that group, I just was like, damn, it's not just me no more. You know, there's other people that have been through something. You know, I have some people that I can write to, you know, whether it's that Jay, David, Garlock, or David Torres, or Bill, I can write to them, like, hey, I'm going through this. And they probably been through the same emotions and feeling I've been through for a long time. It's just always been me feeling like this and that. And like now, I know a lot of guys now that I could just talk to. So I just want to, before we go, I just want to say thank you guys for um, 
coming on, I want to read something to you guys for, you know, coming on. Um, so affirmations, you know, a couple of them. Um, one, like recovery is absolute possible and achievable for us survivors. Um, the next one is feeling is healing as I heal. I developed the ability to experience a wider range of emotions to enhance my health and connections to others. I have the right and ability to speak the truth of my abuse and deserve to be heard, understood, believed, and supported. I believe deep down inside me, I possess the ability to face the truth of my abuse and to learn to use new tools for healing. I commit, you know, this is his personal thing. I commit to that boy inside of me, that little boy inside of me today, so we could play, laugh, and experience joy together, even if it's just for a minute or two. And um, like I said, um, thank y'all so much. Like, y'all just don't know how much this means to me to have this conversation. I feel like more men, we need to have this conversation. And before I get emotional, I want to say thank you guys again. Like, this was so good. Thank you guys for your bravery. Thank you guys for telling your stories. And I just love you all. Love you all.